know what you're listening to. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. I'd like to begin by saying the following sentence. Congratulations, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Second Super Bowl in franchise history, history, blah, and Brady's seventh of all time. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest edition of Snowman in the Morning, coming at you live from North Carolina. Lots to get to in this post-Super Bowl wrap-up. Lots to talk about, lots to unpack. But again, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with their second Super Bowl title and Brady's seventh overall. And I have a little something for people that think I hate Brady. Okay? I got a little something to go with to, to go with that. 31-9 was your final score in Super Bowl 55 last night. There was Nowhere to go for Patrick Mahomes and nowhere to hide. Nowhere to run and nowhere to hide because that Tampa defense was coming after him the entire game. The entire game. I think I realized when the game was over was after the first quarter. What do you mean by that? The Buccaneers took a 7-3 lead. Late in the first period on a touchdown to, who else? Rob Gronkowski. And it seemed like after that, that defense said the the, the, the and Todd Bowles, who was the embattled Jets head coach for a couple of years, deserves a lot of credit because Todd Bowles looked at his defensive players and said, sick them. Now, he told them two things, sick them and shut them down. They sicked them and they shut them down. I've always said this about rhythm quarterbacks, of which Tom Brady is one, Patrick Mahomes is another. Anybody who runs a version of the West Coast offense that was made by, that was invented by the godfather of the West Coast offense, the late great Bill Walsh, God rest his soul. It's pretty simple with rhythm quarterbacks. You got to take them out of their rhythm. You have to take them off of their point. Well, that Tampa Bay defense was a bunch of dogs last night. And they took Patrick Mahomes off of that point. You can make all the excuses you want about Kansas City, which is where my focus is going to be for this first part of my reaction. But I've never seen the Kansas City Chiefs be that undisciplined, be that unprepared, and be that out of sorts. That's what a good defense will do to you. In the second quarter, the Chiefs committed eight penalties. For 95 yards. Eight. I could say it another way, but my wife would get mad at me and I can't use the Lewis Black phrase that I want to use. But I'll say it again. In Andy Reid's time, I've never seen a Chiefs defense be that undisciplined and they got horribly exposed. It should They should have been horribly exposed last year, but the San Francisco 49ers stopped running the football. Not Tampa Bay. Give them credit. They did not stop running the football. Not at all. Not at all. And you know the best part about it? They, the Chiefs knew what the Buccaneers were going to do. 
They knew you would expect them to know how Tampa Bay was going to run their offense, and they couldn't do a damn thing about it. Not a thing. Not a thing. Tampa Bay earned this victory. Tampa Bay absolutely earned this victory. But the Chiefs had a lot to do with it, shooting themselves in the foot in that second quarter. And usually it's the Chiefs that come on in the second quarter. Not last night. Not last night. That was all Buccaneers in that second period. A 7-3 lead turned into a 21-6 halftime bulge. And the biggest play of the game, biggest play, the biggest play of the game for me was the touchdown to Antonio Brown. The touchdown to Antonio Brown after the Chiefs got a field goal, made it a one-possession game, 14-6. And a pass interference penalty got the Bucs downfield. And then Tom Brady just flicked it in the end zone to Antonio Brown. Now take this away from it. Antonio Brown, I thought, was done after he got cut by the uh, – by the New England Patriots. He got cut by the Patriots. And I thought, that's it. No one else is going to give Brown a chance. Then I find out Tampa Bay is going to sign Antonio Brown. And my immediate thought was, how big of an impact is Antonio Brown going to have? Well, last night, answered that question. Four catches for Antonio Brown, including a touchdown in the Super Bowl. You can't have a bigger impact than that. You cannot have a bigger impact than that. And later on, after one of the sports boards, I'll tell you why I'm not hating on Tom Brady anymore. No, I'm kidding. But I'll tell you about that, like I said, after one of the sports boards. Man, I got so excited and launched in, I didn't tell you who I was going to have. Mike Lyle for a Super Bowl edition for the, of the Lyle Files will join me. Ryan Dunn will join me. And Desmond Johnson will talk UNC Duke. We'll talk all of that. During the course of the show, and we're presented by Beamer Tire and Auto, three locations in the triad to serve you. I just jump right into what's going to uh, what I'm talking about here. But you know what? Good enough for me. But Tampa Bay's defense set the tone. The touchdown to Gronkowski gave Todd Bowles the license to tell his defense, pin your ears back and Go after Mahomes. And the most genius thing that Todd Bowles did in taking away his two best receivers was a two-high safety. One covers Hill, the other covers Kelsey. Which leads me to this about one Patrick Mahomes. After last year, where he came back from double-digit deficits three separate times, you would look at his stats and see that he used everybody, Watkins, Hardman, Hill, uh, Kelsey, um, Williams is running back out of, the, out of the backfield. He used everybody. Last night in the Super Bowl, he only relied on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Now, granted, he still had over 250 passing yards, and most of those came late. And B, most of those came after the game had already been decided. Most of those came all. Most of those passing yards that uh, 
Patrick Mahomes had came after the game was decided because the game was decided in the first quarter. To go back to that point, the game was decided in the first quarter when the defense of Tampa Bay made Patrick Mahomes look very pedestrian. They look very pedestrian. That offense, which will kill you during the regular season, could do nothing. They forced Kansas City to have long drives, long fields. Even after the goal line stand, Kansas City couldn't do anything. And you rarely saw Mahomes, except for the second, except for late in the third quarter and beyond, take a deep shot down the field. And he couldn't connect on a deep shot. Nobody was open. The Tampa Bay, too high, took care of that. And normally you would think Mahomes would have enough time to throw one of those sidearm passes to a running back, but a running back couldn't get open because a linebacker was covering him. And Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul, and Dominican Sue were on Patrick Mahomes' taillights all night long. All night long. I've, there were a couple plays. I was watching the game with my wife. There were a couple plays where Mahomes scrambled back 30 yards and threw the ball just barely getting to the line of scrimmage. You know what happened if any one of those plays resulted in an intentional grounding defense? You got Kansas City from their side of the field. And there would have been even more points. To be perfectly honest, instead of 31 to 9, it should have been at least 45 to 9. And that's and part of that is because of Kansas City getting down the field. Here's one of the things that I saw during the game, and my wife pointed this out to me. Kansas City had five red zone opportunities. Five red zone opportunities. And they only had nine points. Only nine points. Tampa Bay had four red zone opportunities. You know how many points they had? 28. Game, set, match right there. Game, set, match. Let me repeat those stats to you again. Five red zone opportunities for the Kansas City Chiefs. They got nine points. Four red zone opportunities for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got 28 which is why I can no longer hate on Tom Brady running an offense. I saw it for 20 years in New England, didn't want to believe it. Part of it was because my man was is Montana, okay? But Brady and Montana will forever be intertwined. More on that later. But what can you do when... Your defense, what can you do if you're Patrick Mahomes and the defense has been coming after you all night? And they took all of your weapons away. They took your main weapons away. There's nothing that can be done. The great decision making of Patrick Mahomes, you know, just to try to get someone else in the pattern and to try to speed up the game so they can play this fast break offense just didn't happen. Shaq Barrett was a madman last night. 
Shaq Barrett was an absolute madman last night. Fighting through blocks, fighting through chips, and getting to Patrick Mahomes. You know Patrick Mahomes got knocked down 10 times last night in the ballgame? Let me repeat that for you. Patrick Mahomes got knocked down 10 times in that ballgame. 10. And until last night, you know how many times the Chiefs punted? Once. Last night, they punted five times. Defense wins championships. And this is one case. This is one of the most uh, obvious cases of that phrase. Defense wins championships. They do. They win championships, man. When you get to an opponent's red zone, and, and Kansas City has spent so much time in the last two years in the opponent's end zone, it's not even funny. But when you get to an opponent's red zone five times and you only get nine points, you deserve to lose. Five, I'll repeat this number until A, someone corrects me and B, till I'm blue in the face. But I want to, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong on the trips to the red zone for Kansas City. But I'm illustrating a point. Five trips to the red zone, nine points. Usually, if Kansas City gets five trips to the red zone, they're going to come out with 35 points. Easy. Usually. Usually. Not against that defense last night. And my buddy Robert Cobb, the man in charge of The Inscriber Magazine, tried to tell me, man, they're facing a bunch of dogs. I didn't want to believe it. I'll say it. I didn't want to believe it at all. But that Tampa Bay defense made a believer out of me. They absolutely made a believer out of me. I didn't want to believe it when 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 Tampa Bay got the You know when they got their act together? They were the last team. And I'm going to mention this throughout the show with the guests that I have on. They were the last team to get a bye. Didn't lose since then. Didn't lose since. Seven straight wins. Four to close the regular season. Four in the playoffs. Eight straight wins then. They were seven and five including a pummeling at the hands of New Orleans. By the time they got to their break, did not lose a game since then, including three on the road in the playoffs, one at home that just happens to be the Super Bowl. Incredible. Congratulations again, Tampa Bay. Take a timeout for you, and when we come back, we got the morning sports board, and then Desmond Johnson at the bottom of this hour to talk all things Atlantic Coast Conference. Then we'll get back into our Super Bowl discussion. This is Snowman in the Morning. 
In this aftermath of the Super Bowl, we got to have an aftermath chat about UNC and Duke that took place this past Saturday. Desmond Johnson is with me inside the Manic Monday edition of the Sports Buffet. Good morning, DJ. Hey, man. How's it going? How's your, uh, how's your week starting off? How's your, how was your weekend? Um, Crazy. Super Bowl, UNC yeah. Duke, college <laughs> basketball all over the place. And a reminder to the folks tuning in from other stations, Scoop Miller will join me later this week to talk uh, national college basketball. But talk to me. UNC beat Duke, 91-87 was the final. Was it the kind of game you expected? Yeah, I know a lot of people were thinking, you know, with the struggles Duke's been having and uh, the post play that the Carolina team has, that they, you know, from the outside looking in, they're thinking, you know, Duke should get blown out by 20 points. But outsiders think that. Insiders, people that are, you know, Carolina Duke fans that live here, that have experienced the rivalry, they know very well that it doesn't really matter what the records are for either team when they meet each other. Um, It's going to be a close game. And so I expected a close game going into it. I knew Duke was going to fight. And uh, Carolina, Carolina emerged victorious, 91-87, broke a three-game losing streak to Duke, uh, did it in Cameron. I don't care that there weren't fans there. I don't <laughs> care that Coach K is 73. Right. I, I don't care. They don't have a, they don't have a post game. I don't care about any of that. Carolina none of them cared Duke. about it. When, when, yeah, Carolina beat Duke. That's it. I mean, they didn't care about it when they were bragging last year when uh, Duke beat a 14-19 and 19 Carolina team with injuries all exactly. over the place. So exactly. It's the exact same thing, and it's karma, if anything. So uh, it was a good Saturday night. I, I, I loved your post on Instagram that said, please wear a mask. Some people wear a Duke shirt. I saw that, and I started cracking up laughing right after, huh. right after Carolina. Where did you find that picture? Where did you find that? Ah. Uh, Somewhere in the, the sewer of social media, I found it and dragged it out and put it out there. And I wasn't going to talk. I wasn't really going to talk smack this year because of it. You know, both teams not necessarily struggling. Uh, Duke is struggling. Uh, Carolina. This is the thing that I've had issue with, and I've mentioned it most of the weekend. Whenever people have asked me about it online, the the national sports media has attempted to group Carolina and Duke together yes. as having the same issues, the same problems, as if they're in the same boat that they both they both might miss the tournament. That is not the case. Duke nope. is on the outside looking in right now with a 500 record in February. Meanwhile, Carolina is around the middle of the ACC. It's a down year for the ACC anyway because mm-hmm. the Blue Bloods are down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you know Carolina is looking good, 12 and six. Uh, the next. Two weeks, we'll see how good this Carolina team is because they've got – they haven't seen Virginia yet. They play Virginia in the Dean Dome. Uh, I'm not sure, I don't think they've seen Virginia Tech yet. They see them in the Dean Dome. Duke's got to come to the Dean Dome. Florida State has to come to the Dean Dome. And Carolina's undefeated in the Dean Dome this year. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff that's been going on is because Carolina had to go on the road to NC State, to Georgia Tech, uh, early in the year when people were still trying to figure out, you know, who they are as a team. So I'm not as worried about Carolina – as Duke fans should probably be about Duke. And I've been sounding these horns for about a month now that this Duke team is just not built right. It's like a, it's like Jalen Johnson and a bunch of spare parts. And uh, Matthew Hurt had seven points and fouled out on Saturday night. You see what happens when he's not a crucial scorer for this team. They just look disjointed. Yeah. No post presence whatsoever. None. Duke's got a long way to go, and I don't think they're going to be able to fix this in two weeks or whatever before the next time Carolina season again. One of the big players for Carolina, I highlighted at the top of the year, and you caught wind of that and a couple of others did too, Armando Baycott rounding into shape and becoming 
the go-to player for North Carolina, especially in their front court, where Roy Williams, as you said earlier in the season, will rely on his bigs. Armando Bacon has become ultra-reliable for North Carolina. Yeah, he's uh, he's been the most uh, – he's been the best of the post players game to game. Tim, Garrison Brooks, uh, Daron Sharp, and Walker Kessler. Um, I think it was a bit unfair for uh, Garrison to be listed the preseason player of the year in the ACC right. based off of last year. Because mm-hmm. if people remember last year, Garrison's stats were a bit inflated due to Cole Anthony missing half the season. Yep. Armando Baycott was hurt a lot of the year last year. The mm-hmm. Black missed games last year. Uh, it was just an injury-riddled roster uh, for Carolina last year, which gave Garrison these crazy numbers and made him the uh, preseason player of the year. The kid from Pittsburgh, Justin Champagne, he's going to win player of the year uh, yeah. in the league. But, yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, the, the, that's why I haven't been too worried about Carolina, because even when they're not shooting well, they're still one of the top rebounding teams in the entire country. And sometimes that becomes offense you know, for them. But now their young guards are starting to step up. Um you know, Caleb Love had a hell of a game on Saturday night. Talk about Caleb Love. How much has he improved and how much has he helped this Carolina team turn it around and, in essence, about to turn the corner? Well, just to put it in perspective, you know, this rivalry goes back a very long way, and these two teams are fairly equal over the, the decades in terms of against each other. Um, just a couple of things about Caleb Love and his performance. Uh, on Saturday night. For starters, uh, Love had 25 points on 9 of 14 shooting. He was 4 from 5 for 3. He had 7 assists. Uh, he was the player of the game. Um, the last Carolina player to score at least 25 points and dish at least 5 assists against Duke was Ty Lawson 12 years ago. Um, wow. Another thing, yeah, it's pretty crazy that it's been that long. Another thing that stood out to me, Caleb Love became the first Tar Heel to ever score 25 points and have 7 assists at Cameron, and just the third Tar Heel to reach those figures in any game versus the Blue Devils. Charlie Scott had 34 and 8 in 1969, and Phil Ford had 28 and 8 in 1976. Both of those were in Carmichael Auditorium. So Caleb Love, uh, you know, they always say if you want to make a name for yourself and you play at Carolina and Duke, the game that you have to do that in is the Duke-Carolina game. And regardless of not having fans, neither one of them are ranked. Uh, the game still delivered. The game still delivered. Uh, like Jay ba- like Jay Billis said, he wants to trademark it about that game. It always delivers. And Saturday night was the perfect example of it. It was still a great game. Came down to the wire. And uh, Carolina got out of camera with the victory. Desmond Johnson joining me here on the program this morning inside of the Sports Buffet. Follow him at Des underscore 3505. We talked about Virginia earlier in the year. They took a loss against San Francisco, dropped, out, uh, dropped down out of the top ten. And when you know it, they're leading the ACC right now. How they? How did they yeah. write the ship? They figured out a way to start scoring. Um, that was their main issue. The, the Virginia pack line defense is the best defense in the country. That doesn't keep them in the majority of the games they had. The problem is they were holding teams to you know 55, 60 points, and Virginia was scoring you know 60. Mm-hmm. So it left some room there for some teams like San Francisco to you know sneak off with a win. Along the way, uh, Virginia just started scoring points. Uh, they just uh, started scoring enough to be able to get past these teams. They played uh, Pittsburgh on Saturday and beat them 73 to 66. Virginia Tech beat them at the end of January, of course. Um, but right now, the, the main issue is there's not really a team that can, you know, 
match up with Virginia in the ACC in terms of catching them uh, where they are. They are uh, 9-1 and one in conference play. Florida State's right behind them. I should take that back. Florida State is very good. They're the defending ACC champs. Uh, Virginia Tech's 8-3, and three, but I've been kind of uh, not on the Virginia Tech boat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're having a good year, um, but I, I just don't believe in them going further. Uh, Virginia, Florida State, of course, are the cream of the crop in ACC this year. Louisville started out strong. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had a COVID pause. Yeah. Um, now they're they're bad. they might still be on the COVID pause. If I'm not mistaken. They're six and three, eleven and four overall. And then all of a sudden, you got Carolina sitting there at seven and four, and now in the fifth spot in the ACC. And they've got to play every one of these teams in front of them over the next two weeks. Uh, Louisville, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Virginia. Like UNC can really take a stand in terms of what they are for this season over the next two weeks uh, at home in the Dean Dome. So I'm super curious to see that. I hate playing Virginia. It's like watching a rock fight in a, a mudslide. It's just like horrible, slow, muddled basketball, which is basically what Clemson did to Carolina mm-hmm. last week. Uh, so if you can slow them down, then yeah, of course, there's going to be a chance for Carolina to get rattled and not play their best. But uh, if Caleb Love, again, if Caleb Love is going to play the way he's playing and the guards of Carolina can cut down these turnovers they've had, Carolina's a top 25 team. They just hadn't been able to do that for long stretches this year. And maybe they're starting around in the form with that Duke win. To the NFL right now, inside the Sports Buffet, your thoughts on the season awards that were given out Saturday evening? Uh, I thought they thought they got pretty much everything right. Uh, I figured that uh, – Aaron Rodgers was going to be the MVP. He had a great year. Uh, Pat Mahomes might be entering Michael Jordan territory in terms of that MVP award because mm-hmm. clearly if you take Pat Mahomes off the Chiefs, they're not the Chiefs anymore. Right. And clearly he's the most valuable player, not to them, but to the entire league at this point, mm-hmm. the way that they've hyped him. But Jordan had the same thing happening to him You know, after the first couple that he won. Uh, it was easy to find someone else to give it to, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, uh, whoever, Instead of giving it to Jordan, even though Jordan probably could have won it, you know, eight, nine years in a row, they spread it out. And um, I think that's what's happening with Pat Mahomes right now. Uh, the only award that I kind of looked at and was like, oh, I don't know if that should have went to, you know, where it went, um, was the defensive player of the year. Yep. Um, I thought TJ I thought TJ Watt should have won. Um, but, hey, you can't really – be mad at Aaron Donald <laughs> right. the defensive player of the year. Right. I mean, it's not like it was really, really like far away. He had the better year. Um, I, I just thought TJ Watt had a better uh, season, but Aaron Donald is just an all pro beast. You can build a team around yep. a defensive tackle. That, that's saying a whole lot. So yeah. um, that was really, that was really it. Those are the only ones I thought, you know, Derek Henry uh, getting picked the, the offensive player of the year. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, over 2,000 yards rushing, which I didn't even realize that he did this year. Um, Justin Herbert, rookie of the year. That looks about right. I'm a little upset that uh, with the defensive uh, rookie of the year picks where Chase Young basically dominated the category and the Panthers' Jeremy Chin only got four votes mm. when he was like the defensive rookie of the week a number of times during yeah. the season. I just felt like he should have been uh, represented a little bit better than what, what that vote was. But other than that, I think they pretty much got everything the way it was supposed to be. Um, shout out to Aaron Rodgers, who now has three MVP awards, which yep. puts him in the elite category. Um, and who knows? We'll see 
We'll see what happens here. Uh, Brett Favre, Jim Brown, Tom Brady, and Johnny United are the only three-time winners. Uh, Peyton Manning has five. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens going forward uh, with Aaron and the Packers and everything else. I fully expect them back next year. Yeah, and the Packers will be good again next year. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with them. One more note: Does Deshaun Watson get traded because he wants out? And Houston says you're not going anywhere. How does this get settled? I don't know. I honestly don't know because I've never really seen a team dig in like this to just adamantly say they're not going to trade a player that's clearly saying they want to be traded. It's almost as if either the people running Houston have no idea what they're doing or they think they can convince Deshaun to stay, which I, at this point, I don't see why he would, mm-hmm. or they haven't gotten a, a uh, they haven't gotten an offer that they feel like they should move a, a franchise quarterback with. Like this, Deshaun's going to command more than what Matthew Stafford got yep. or what uh, Detroit got for Matthew Stafford, I should say. And come to find out, the Panthers offered the eighth round, I mean, the eighth overall pick in this draft, a fifth round pick, and Teddy Bridgewater uh, to the Lions, and they declined it uh, for the two ones they got uh, from uh, LA. I'm not sure what the Rams are doing. The Rams have to win like literally next year because they've traded away their first round picks for like the, like, for the, next, <laughs> the next five four, years. Four, five yeah, they haven't had any in like three or four years. Yeah. So, uh, with the defense they've got, with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and those boys, they need to be in the Super Bowl next year for this to be worth it with Matthew Stafford because they don't have any first-round picks uh, anytime soon, and they've kind of mortgaged their future for right now. Yep. So, they de- they've done um, it twice. You know. They've done it twice now. Jalen Ramsey yeah, and Jalen Ramsey, Matthew and Stafford. This, yeah. Because I just, I and they're it's not gotta gonna, work. It's got to work. It's It's got to work, but it ain't going to work. There are too many holes to fill. There are too many holes to I mean, fill on the Rams. They, they were, I mean, honestly, I think Jared Goff was holding them back. Like, they have a, a Super Bowl defense right now. Like, they were the number one defense in the league. And you can get very far with just defense. Uh, the Rams offense sometimes would get stagnant with Goff. I feel like Stafford will, will finally have more weapons than he's ever had in his pro career. Um, and you can find guys like, you know, the Curtis Samuels of the world and, Debo Samuels, you know, guys like that that play like wide receiver, flanker, Tyreek Hill, those kind of guys, you can find them in the second, third, fourth round. You just got to mm-hmm. know what you're looking for yeah. and have great scouts in your in your, in your uh, franchise. So if the Rams feel comfortable doing that with mid-level picks, uh, their first string guys are going to be fantastic, but depth is going to be their issue if they have injuries or anything. Yeah. They're not going to have a whole lot of depth on that roster because of the, the picks they gave up, but We'll see. It's a way to build a team, so we'll we'll see if it actually works out for them. You're inside the Sports Buffet with Desmond Johnson. Catch him on here each week. We're going to try to settle on a day where I um, – on a, a consistent day where I have him on. Check out Desmond at Des underscore 3505, the man in charge of Tobacco Road Sports Radio, where a lot of our listeners are coming from. Thank you, Triad, for that, and thank you, Desmond, for this. I truly appreciate it. Anytime, man. Enjoy your week. That's Desmond Johnson, and you know what? I'd like to agree that the Rams have a Super Bowl defense, but I'm going to disagree. I don't think they have a Super Bowl defense yet, and I really don't think they're not going to have one because if you mortgage, they mortgage the future already. Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are fantastic. They're fantastic. Don't get it twisted. But there's still holes in that defense to be filled, and unfortunately it's not going to work. It's not going to work with Matthew Stafford, nothing against Stafford, but you're talking about a quarterback that has to learn another system, work within that system. He's got weapons around him, and he's got weapons around him, yeah, but 
There's a team in that division that knows how to defend them. And y'all know which team I'm talking about. This is Snowman in the Morning. Back with some headlines and another take for you. Back after this. Our Super Bowl wrap-up continues. And this is a special Monday edition of the Lyle Files. And Mike Lyle joins me right now. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, brother. How's it going on this post-Super Bowl Monday morning? Yeah, it's a post-Super Bowl, all right. It's a post-pandemic Super Bowl. Now, I've been attacked all last night and all this morning because the question has now come out with some very comparable facts, by the way. You've heard the question all last week, who's, who has the better GOAT career, LeBron or Brady? I know you've heard it all. You heard it all last week. So someone decided to drop a comment on or drop a question, I should say, on one of my social media pages and say, you can give up the Montana fight now because Brady has seven rings. Okay, as I said a few moments ago after the sports board, I'm not hating on Brady. Get it right. I'm not hating on Brady. I'm just enthralled i'm absolutely enthralled about all that he's done don't get it twisted i'm not hating on brady nor his accomplishments but everybody has that one player that drew them to the game and for me that guy wore number 16 there is no hatred involved I think the problem, Brian, is that people just can't accept greatness these days because there's always going to be somebody that's going to paint somebody. Somebody's going to always be better than somebody that comes before them or after them. Mm-hmm. And let's call it for what it is. You saw it. America saw it. Although I was surprised by the reaction I saw by many of the protagonists that were picking the uh, Chiefs to win this game. Mm-hmm. But I had a feeling that America was going to get just what they had wanted, which yep. was to see Tom Brady get number seven. And let me tell you, at 43 years old, he did just what he was supposed to do. I don't care what anybody yeah, says. If you watch the game like I did, and you saw it right from the jump, the Buccaneers were locked in. That second quarter is what kind of blew the doors open. He was locked mm-hmm. in. They started to move the ball. He found his best friend and, and Gronkowski twice in that first half, which was amazing. A lot of New England fans kind of remember those days, I said, on Twitter. I said, that brings back memories, huh, guys? Because that's what they used to be, used to be seeing up here. But now down in Tampa, that's what they're doing tonight twice. Yeah. And it wasn't just in that first half. He was doing it for the rest of the game. The last second half, they were he was fighting uh, Grant a couple of times. Uh, but they're playmakers. And, again, Brian, the guy's 43 years old. He's playing like he's in his 20s. He just won a seventh championship. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not stopping. He is the GOAT. Yep. And the man said during his press conference last week, he even said he was asked this question about whether or not he would want to stop playing after this game, win or lose. He said that he would continue playing until he was 45 or even older. Yeah. The man said at the post-game press conference that he's going to run. Yeah. So what does that tell you? At 40, he's not done yet. No. And he doesn't look like he's done yet. No. No, he does they not. They could be right back there again next year. They, they, they absolutely could. They absolutely could. This is what people confuse about me there is no hatred involved whatsoever i admire brady for how he takes care of his body for how he takes care of his mind and at age 43 playing a gladiator sport a a a a, a, a sport and a game which i will admit out loud i have written him off several times and each time he's proven me wrong 
That's what I love about sports, man. That's what I absolutely love about sports. Tom Brady has repeatedly proven me wrong, okay? And there is no, there can't be any hatred involved. Why can't we say something Shaquille O'Neal said? And I know you heard this comment from him. Why can't we just compare eras? Okay, why we can't we just compare quarterbacks in different eras? Okay, because there's greatness with Montana and there's greatness with Brady, period. Okay, there is no denying that on either end of that. Either end, greatest of all time, you can't make that call. No one can make that call. Unless it's a situation, and I think Brady's coming close to this situation, where he stands out with his achievements above above everybody. But when someone asks me, do you pick Montana or Brady, I always say slight edge to Montana. They bristle, and I'm like, let me tell let let me tell you why. I've seen I've seen Brady's entire 21 year career, but I've seen Montana play four Super Bowls where he didn't lose, nor did he throw a Super Bowl interception. Now that gets wiped under the rug in today's era. So do wait for it the rule changes that favor the quarterback. And there was a lot of discussion about that last night too, because there were some questionable calls in that first half when I saw on social media was blown up saying, "Ah, oh, here we go." The referees are going to start giving Brady the benefit of the calls. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there were a couple of calls, but even so. Kansas City shot themselves in the calls, foot. It just didn't matter. I was going to say, the Chiefs did not help their cause by making those stupid mistakes that allowed the Bucks to get extra field position and more yardage. And against Tom Brady, that's a no-no. That's a big no-no. Seven. He had him stop yep. on a third down play, but unfortunately – a holding penalty gave him the first down, and it was like, well, what do you expect was going to happen after that? You gave this man more yardage deep in their own ter- in their territory. Did you think he was? And I even posted this on social media before halftime. I said, did you really think that they were going to miss the opportunity to get more points before halftime? Exactly. After the Chiefs once again made a super mistake. Come on now. I uh, exactly, exactly. Brady did. Brady and the Buccaneers did what exactly what they were supposed to do when handed an opportunity before the end of the first half, and that score points. The difference, the one of the biggest differences in the game, and I'll talk about this later, touchdowns versus field goals. Field goals get you beat. Field goals got Kansas City beat. Matter of fact, field goals got Kansas City kicked in the ass, period. <laughs> and what's amazing is that they were only held to just a mere six points after the first half. And you can see it all together. I mean, Mahomes, to his credit, did what he could. I mean, the man was running for his life much of the evening. He was trying to make plays, but unfortunately, his receivers couldn't catch passes. Lots of drop balls. Mm-hmm. And the offensive line, for some reason, was just non-existent in this game. So it was quite surprising that we saw a Chiefs team that lit up offensively during the regular season. And I've always said this, too, in sports. You did. Regular season stats are nice. But come the postseason, and when it's time to play single elimination football, you gotta have that same style week in and week out. Yeah, she's picked have the to. wrong time to have a bad offensive showing. The wrong. Let alone the defense was letting Brady and them throw the pass and running down the field easily. But the offense with Chiefs was just, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yep. Now they can't get loose. And you know what I saw Patrick Mahomes do? He didn't lean on any of his other weapons. He didn't lean on anybody. He didn't lean on Edwards Elair. He didn't he he didn't lean on Sammy Watkins. He didn't lean on his other tight end. Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. Okay. They took Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey out of the equation. 
They took them out of the equation, but you got no other weapons to throw to. They totally exposed the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And then the Chiefs kept shooting themselves in the foot with penalties. Eight penalties in the second quarter. Eight of them. All of the second period. And to credit, too, the Buccaneers' defense pass rush was ridiculous. Jason Pierre-Paul was a catalyst. He had several key plays that got up front and was in Mahomes' face for much of the night. Yep. So everybody was talking about the Chiefs' defense was probably going to show Brady something. That's a, you know, that Buccaneers' defense is pretty daggone good, too. And they showed oh, tonight yeah. just how good, uh, the last night, how good they are. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were they were phenomenal. They did, man. They were absolutely phenomenal. And they're one of the biggest reasons Tom Brady has seven rings and he has his fifth Super Bowl MVP. Okay? The decision make he may not have thrown for four or 500 yards in the Super Bowl. It's the fact that his decision-making, his improvisation, and the fact that he trusted his running game. He trusted the weapons that he has. He ain't slowing down anytime soon, okay? He may play until he's 50, all right, and still look the way that he looks. You know what? I guarantee you two Tampa Bay's brass is looking at that right now and probably saying, we're going to make sure we keep that offensive line intact. Absolutely. The fact that Brady did not face any turf in that game, which was quite surprising. I don't even think he got sacked one time. Unless I'm mistaken, I don't think Brady was actually feeling any kind of pressure, which means they didn't get that to offensive him. line did their job too. Mm-hmm. They did. They they did. Brian, they had to complete practice. They did, but they said Gronk said at the end of the game, "This was the most talented team they've ever assembled." It's the truth. Yeah. Look at that roster from top to bottom. It is the truth. One other person, by the way, Antonio Brown. Yep. Remember him? How big was that touchdown catch that basically sent the Buccaneers on their way, not only into halftime but to win the to win the game? That was your clincher. That touchdown pass to Antonio Brown was the clincher. How about the storyline for Antonio Brown, though? Remember, he was supposed to be a part of that New England lore a year or so ago, but then he was cut loose after the scandal that unfolded. Yep. And then he was finding himself looking to get back on the NFL team. And look where he's at now. Isn't it funny how you just said it a minute ago? This is how sports works. Yes. We like to see these comeback stories because Antonio Brown is a comeback story. Yep. The man was out of a job after that fiasco with the Patriots, and now he reunited with Tom Brady, and look where he's at now. Now he's got a Super Bowl championship under his wing. Yeah. And congrats to him sticking with it. Sticking with it. Just congrats to him. We're up against a break. Mike Lyle joining me for a Super Bowl edition of the Lyle Files as we wrap up our Super Bowl coverage. Always a pleasure, my man. I want to get you on later this week because – there's an NBA discussion I am chomping at the bit to have, and I've already oh, got clearance. I know you are. You know where I'm going. <laughs> I'm, I know, and it's involving your best friend, who's your favorite player, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a tease. I was just joking. I think you know where I'm going with that, too. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have fun to with that. <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. we are. To be continued, indeed. We're going to have fun with that later in the week. Thanks, brother. Appreciate the time. You got it, man. We'll talk soon. Well, that'll take care of that. Back after this. When you talk about the word legacy, there are so many things that go into it. Mahomes' legacy is not tarnished, but it took a hell of a dent last night. Brady's legacy, you may as well put it in cement. On the Canton Walk of Fame, and the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He may not have had 400 yards in the Super Bowl, in a passing in a Super Bowl, 
Brady may not have had five touchdowns, which he still hasn't done. Ha, 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 ha. No, I'm just kidding. But what he has is or are seven Super Bowl titles. Seven. I never thought I'd see anybody win five. Bradshaw's won four, Montana's won four, and I thought, okay, four is the limit. And then Brady won four. I said, all right, you've tied the best. Now he's got three more, four overall since the age of 37. Jim Nance spoke that last night. Four Super Bowl titles since the age of 37. There was a stretch where he didn't win a Super Bowl title at all, and now it's like, hmm. You know what the most ridiculous comparison last week was? Comparing LeBron James to Tom Brady. That's ridiculous. Tell you why. In my opinion, LeBron has done a dang going cotton picking thing to cement his legacy in the NBA. I'll let that hang for a moment before I say Tom Brady has done tons more to cement his legacy in the NFL. I'm going to repeat those two sentences here in a moment. Matter of fact, I'll repeat them right now. LeBron James has not done anything. Okay? I want you to listen to me very carefully. I want you to hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. When you compare LeBron James and Tom Brady, okay? And they're doing it because of age. I realize that. And as um, Chris Tucker said in um, uh, Rush Hour, thank you. I want you to hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. LeBron James hasn't done a doggone thing toward his supposed legacy that these people want to hype him up to be and try to give him because he's won championships with three different teams. Shut up. That ain't a legacy. But he's past Wilt. No, not a legacy. When you're about to leave the NBA in turnovers, which you'll do in the next week, then, uh, yeah, you want to call that a piece of your legacy? Nope. That ain't a legacy, especially when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who played center for 20 years, is not even in the top 50 in turnovers. Riddle me this. Has Has LeBron ever changed the game? Has he ever revolutionized the game of basketball? Has he ever had an impact to the point where people want to idolize their game after him. No, no, and no. Conversely, Tom Brady has. Tom Brady has shown how you take care of your body in playing a gladiator sport. Tom Brady has shown how you keep your mind together. Tom Brady has shown how you uh, how you keep it together, even at the age that you are, and he's 43. 
Hell, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if he played until he was fifty. He's just not he's not gonna he's just not gonna look like he's played 20, 25 years. He doesn't now. He doesn't now. What you gonna do? But it's the most ridiculous comparison I've ever heard in my life. Comparing LeBron James to Tom Brady. What the hell is wrong with people? Tom Brady has a legacy all his own. Can't deny it anymore. Can't say opposite anymore. But it's just done after last night's Super Bowl victory. And as I said earlier in the program, when he threw that touchdown pass to Rob Gronkowski to give the Buccaneers a 7-3 lead, a lead that they wouldn't relinquish, by the way, the defense did the rest. This is one of the few Super Bowls where I've seen Tom Brady had to do minimal, minimal work. But he did his work. He did what he was supposed to do. He took his team down to get touchdowns in the red zone. I said earlier in the program, big one of the biggest differences of the night, and I'll repeat it here. Kansas City had five trips to the red zone. He only got nine points. Tampa Bay had four trips to the red zone, got 28. Hello? Herman Edwards said it best. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. And the Kansas City Chiefs did not last night. That's about as simple as it gets. The Chiefs did not play to win. Big problem, folks. But this is all about Tom Brady. This is all about recognizing the hard numbers that are out there. What do I build this show to be? The hottest of hot takes and the coldest of cold hard facts. And I know I said this earlier, but the facts are these. Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins, which is one more than the New England Patriots, a team he piloted for 20 years, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who were the first team to win six Super Bowls. Until somebody catches him or a team catches him with seven, he's on that platform that no one else will touch. The facts are these. Tom Brady has three of the highest Super Bowl passing games in history. Tom Brady owns the only overtime Super Bowl win in history. Hello, Atlanta. Tom Brady passed his team to a winning field goal by another soon-to-be Hall of Famer in Adam Vinatieri. At the gun. Matter of fact, Tom Brady did that twice. Once in New Orleans and once in Houston. The facts are these. Tom Brady outdueled Jake Mahomes. Jake uh, DeLome. Why did I say Mahomes? Jake DeLome in Houston. The facts are these. Tom Brady outdueled Matt Ryan. The fact is this. Tom Brady has been there, done that, got the T-shirt, burnt the sump when he got done with it. And he ain't done with it yet. I may not like Tom Brady, but doggone it, I respect him. You heard me say it. I'll say it again. 
and I've said this many times before for the people that think I'm hating on Tom Brady. This ain't hate. I may not like Tom Brady, but dead gummit, I respect him. And I do. I respect him. I respect all that he's done for the game and in the game. Doesn't mean I have to like him. Brady has seven Super Bowls. Fantastic. He has five Super Bowl MVPs. Fantastic. But I will still say to my dying breath that the guy that did it for me was his idol, Montana. What a lot of y'all don't get. Montana and Brady are forever intertwined. Forever. Because Brady was in Candlestick Park when Montana hit Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone. Not only did that sell me that Montana was the greatest quarterback that ever did it, which is a frivolous argument now because of different eras, but it also told me that Brady hasn't eclipsed Montana's shadow. But boy... Well, he hasn't. He didn't have to eclipse Montana's shadow. He had his own. He has his own. That's as simple as that gets. So the next time people want to tell me that I'm hating on Brady, that I am being a Brady worshiper, which I never was, that I am. What's the word I'm looking for? Let me think. Let me think. That I don't give Brady enough credit. That's about the best I can come up with. And of course, my wife's laughing at that. That. That I. Nope. I'm I'm I'm. I'm not hating. Okay. I just have my favorite, and he wears 16, not 12. Or he wore 16, not 12. Doesn't mean I'm hating. LeBron James, that's another story. Headlines after this.